Welcome to the Moser on Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by Jacket Media Co. I'm just wild about Harry, and Harry's wild about me. Morning, everyone. This is Lou Weiss at Manufacturing Talk Radio, and Harry Moser of Moser <laughs> on Manufacturing. And Harry is the president and founder of uh, Reshoring Initiative, probably the single most important guy when it comes to reshoring jobs back to America. How are you doing this morning, Harry? <laughs> Lou, everything's good. I'm, I'm delighted to be here again. And we've probably done, what, 20 or so of these? And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's, it's been great. Yeah. yeah. We're getting some very good uh, uh, feedback. Uh, about our show and uh, more about my yellow jacket than your black t-shirt, but you know, I don't want to get <laughs> Yeah, but I've, I've got to wear the, the black t-shirt because it shows that manufacturing is cool, which is, is, cool. Uh, is cool. part of the message to, to convince more of America's youth to enter manufacturing because it's a wonderful career. And you can make good money. Exactly. <laughs> and you're making things. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's an interesting side effect of that. By learning to make things in the factory, you learn to fix things at home. <laughs> the people, people that I know that, that work in the factory, they, do, they can do everything, almost everything at home, you know? Yeah, yeah. And whereas the people like myself that pretty much push paper around and so on, I'm not as good at doing things at home. <laughs> well, my wife says, uh, hey, honey, honey do, uh, honey, can you take care of this, that, and the other thing? And I said, yeah, give me the phone and I'll call the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not, a, a, you know, that these hands, uh, they flip paper, you know, that, <laughs> just, just like you. Harry, today we're going to talk about uh, what the U.S. government can do to help reshoring and all the other things that's connected to that. So, uh, Harry, what can the government do that they're not doing or <laughs> that they can do better? Well, well the, the, you stop doing. <laughs> that, that, let's start with stop doing. So there's a lot of talk about industrial policy. So Biden has passed several acts, not, good things to do, I believe. Right. And they refer to it as industrial policy. <clears throat> and it's certainly a start, it's industrial action. It's a start on industrial policy. But I'd say for the last 20, 30, 40 years, we've had a de-industrialization policy. So we, if, if you were to design a, a system, a policy to take manufacturing out of the U.S., what, we, what we've done would be that policy. So just, just as an example, um, we, we had World War II. The U.S. was really strong. U.S. Half of the world manufacturing occurred in the U.S. And then we said, oh, we've got to help the defeated countries and the bombed out countries. And so we made it easy for them. And then the poor countries, we said, well, let's help them by letting them export stuff to us on a most favored nation basis with minimal duties, much higher, much lower than the duties they charged on our stuff. You know, So we took action after action and gave up our manufacturing to achieve our diplomatic ends and world peace and all that kind of stuff. And then when we were the Goliath, that made sense, but we're not the Goliath anymore. We've lost so much that the U.S. has to start having a real industrial policy. So so the um, kind of things that that 
uh, we should do are um, have a, a skilled workforce like Germany's, have half the kids go into apprentice programs, become tool makers, become experts at foraging, become plumbers and mechanics and everything else, uh, and have really smart kids see that that's for them, that that's a better career in many cases than a university degree, especially a, uh, a liberal arts degree. We need to get the dollar down. The, it, almost all economists agree the dollar is overvalued by 25, right. 25 to 30%. And if, if the price difference between your, your forged product and, and, and something coming out of China is this much, if the dollar was down by 25%, the difference would be that much. And then right. the companies will look at that and say, huh, yeah, I think we ought to buy some forgings from Lou <laughs> instead of importing them from China. So the dollar can make just so much difference. The, um, we, most of the time we've had the highest corporate tax rate and the lowest duty rates. It doesn't make any sense. Um, we let our, our uh, legal liability costs in the US, the lawyers, you know, two or three times as high as in other countries. That's a cost that has to go into everything we do. We give the majority of our uh, advanced degrees in engineering and computer science to foreigners. Uh, I, I, someone, someone I heard on a show say that 90% of the ones from China then go back to China and take all the technology with them, help the Chinese economy, don't help our economy. So it's, it's just a whole, whole series of these things that were done wrong and could be done so much better. So what is what what kind of impact has all this had on uh, on reshoring? Well, I'm going to first reshoring is done very despite all this now because of the uh, attention you've given it and because of the uh, uh, because of the perseverance of the American worker and the hard work that people have done, the uh, the U.S. has increased its manufacturing output by, uh, by from it's it has increased its reshoring activity from 6,000 per year in 2010 to 360,000 last year so we've had just a huge huge uptrend uptrend in manufacturing right. so I I've pulled up a, a slide can you see my slide I can certainly do okay so with this shows is that uh, I took 190 cases of China versus the US where people had come in and used our TCO estimator, total cost of ownership estimator, put in the FOB or factory price from China, factory price from the US, and the, um, the horizontal axis is China as a percentage of US, the red line is 100%, they're equal, to the left China is cheaper, to the right US is cheaper, and you can see the, the distribution peaks at around 70%. So on average, China price is 70% of US price. And so how, how do you get rid of, how do you, if you, if you don't want to import, companies are always going to go where this, they can get this a decent product cheaper, and they go to China for that typically. And so you need to shift that curve to the right. And again, the ways to do it are higher productivity with a better workforce and more workforce. And, and a lower dollar. The two, and, and then once you have those things, the, your margin on the work will get better, and then it'll pay for you to invest in automation, and then you've become further uh, competitive. So, uh, so th this shows you where the 
uh, our, our competitiveness lies. The, the result is that we have a 1.2 trillion, that's with a T, trillion, $1.2 trillion trade deficit. And that was last year. And at, at the typical productivity rate in the United States, it would take 6 million additional manufacturing workers, everywhere from the lowest level up to you know, factory managers to, to, to overcome that. We'd have to increase US manufacturing by 40% just to break even on, on trade. So, so, so where, where, where are we gonna get those 6 million in view of the fact that we've got one skill gap, we've got retirees, we've got uh, all kinds of issues with regards to uh, workers, yeah. particularly manufacturing. What is it now, Harry? We, we're down 3 million workers in manufacturing? No, I, I think it used to be 800,000. And, and I think that's dropped maybe to 600,000. But with projections, right. yeah, with projections, out to 2025 or 2030 of two or three million, but they've been saying that five years in advance for the last 10 years every time <laughs> they do the analysis. And, and so, so I'm, I, I, I don't think that two million is correct. Um, but the, so how, how are we gonna get them? I think is the question. P part of the answer is immigration. If, if someone comes in, they've got good forging experience and they're clean, they haven't been in trouble, uh, and they want to get in the country, they should get in and you should hire them. Uh, we should be, uh, same for toolmakers, welders, precision machinists, engineers. Uh, we, should, we need to do a much better job of training. Uh, specifically, the, the government tends to overemphasize the value of university degrees. So here's a, here's a chart that I pulled down from the Department of Labor website that says that um, education pays. And it says that the only way to get ahead is to, to get more degrees. So you can see the degrees starting with less than high school and working the way up to doctor's degree, income going up with number of degrees, unemployment rate going down, looks like, looks like the only way to get ahead. And yet it, the average income of people who've passed an apprenticeship or have five or more uh, certificates of some kind, that their income would be just about the same as the average for bachelor's degrees. And yet the government, fails to show that data. And, and this, this chart is on dozens of government websites, state websites, universities use it to say, you got to come and get a degree from us so you'll get ahead. And, and so I'm trying to convince the government to insert a bar just above or below the bachelor's degree for people who have passed an apprenticeship or, 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 or tool makers or uh, work in manufacturing so that parents and, and school counselors can see there's another way to win. There, there's there there are alternative routes to a really good, really good life. And without and having life. without having a two hundred thousand dollar lifetime debt. Yeah, and in fact, I'll find charts like this on the government, and the headline will be million dollars more lifetime income, big letters up here, yep. red in red maybe, and down in the tiny font in the tiny type below the chart, it'll say that when you adjust for the fact that the, um, let's say the, the apprentice, let's say, starts at the age of 18 and starts making money at 18 instead of 23, and that they don't have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for education, that at least half of that gap goes away just relative to the high school graduate. But then you right. throw in the apprentice with a much higher income than the high school graduate, it's overwhelmingly in favor, but then nobody's telling them that.
Except I'm, I'm out there telling them. Okay, <laughs> it's a question of getting them getting them to listen. A lot of it also, uh, as we you and I have spoken many times, is that uh, uh, parents need to be the ones that are educated with regards to the value of a uh, uh, manufacturing career. Uh, that it's it's not so terrible. It's it's wonderful, in fact. I, yeah. I, yeah, I for for many, it's it's in Switzerland, in Germany, in Austria, really smart kids. The kids that here, you'd say, maybe they should be going to Harvard. You know, they they become toolmakers and welders and precision machinists, and 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 they have just as much prestige in their community as if they'd gone to the to the university. And 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 so that's it's that image that we have to overcome. Maybe we should follow the Minnesota lead on doing away with uh, the child labor laws and uh, put 14-year-olds to work in factories. <laughs> I'm not sure 14 is a good idea, but... Uh, no, it's, it's definitely not, but they definitely have that bill on the table. Yeah, I, I think, what is it now, 18 maybe? Uh, no, I think it's 16. You 16? can get papers at 16. Yeah. And, and even at 16, there's probably some factories. I wouldn't want them in a steel mill. I maybe wouldn't want them no. in your Ford shop. But it, but there are certainly some look, some some factories, some industries where where 16 is, is certainly is, is a good idea. I mean, if yeah. they're safe, safe in McDonald's, <laughs> they're probably safe in a lot of factories. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So uh, regarding, uh, you know, you did mention uh, Germany and Switzerland. Uh, regarding their educational system, where it's a dual educational system, where they half the time they're learning the liberal arts, math, languages, and so on, and the other half of their training is that of the trades. And it's proven su extremely successful, particularly with uh, Germany. Um, and actually, I went to uh, the German embassy about two years ago here in, the, in New York, where they had uh, uh, educators from Germany speaking to an American audience of educators, talking to them about the value of this dual system. Um, I dare say it fell on deaf ears. I found it extremely uh, interesting and, and, and a valid approach. Now, you probably went to the to the German consulate in New York since the Absolutely. embassy since the yeah. embassy is is almost inevitably in D Washington D C. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> it was the consulate, correct. Yeah, so the, the the Swiss have an equally good program, and actually, I'm attending a uh, an event at the Swiss embassy in Washington in November, in which they're going to be presenting the Swiss system and and working with U.S. organizations to, to implement some of the features of the Swiss system. So that'll be, you know, we're, we're working, we're, you and I are working the same side of the street. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll have to, uh, when, when we're off air, you'll have to talk to me more about that. I, I'm, I'm interested in, maybe, maybe we'll go there together. Maybe we'll go there, or, or maybe I can get somebody from there to come on the program. That sounds great. Let's try for that.
Yeah. We pay commissions for every person you get to. Come <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you double my commission because yeah, I'll double two, it. Yeah, two, two times zero is still zero. <laughs> that's, that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> let, so, me, let me ask you how how do we how do we adjust the dollar? How do we get it down? Well, the, uh, the there's several mechanisms. The one that I know best is called the market access charge, and and for, first you say why is the dollar so high? because uh, companies, people, countries that have excess cash stored in the United States because we're the reserve currency, because it's believed to be the safest place to store your money. And, and so there's trillions of dollars that slosh into the US, especially when the interest rates are high here, and that drives up the dollar. And so that you have to get, we still want money to come in to build factories. We still want money to come in and hire people, but not to just sit here in a bank. and and so the way to the way to get rid of that or reduce that is called the market access charge, which a uh, a Dr. John Hansen, who used to I think be either the World Bank or the IMF, one of those places, economist, so he's come up with this methodology in which um, money that's coming in like that just to store here would would get hit with a charge. He suggests a quarter of a percent, one time a quarter of a percent, and he believes that would be enough to discourage hundreds of billions of it from coming in and buying dollars. And that would take the dollar down relative to the other currencies. And if a quarter percent isn't enough, he'd raise it to a half a percent. And, and so the result would be lower dollar. It was introduced in the Senate by Senator Baldwin and also a Republican, you know, the two, two colleagues introduced it a couple of years ago, did not get approved. But it's 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 the obvious. It seems like the obvious thing to do. There's some uh, head headwinds in that if you lower the dollar, inevitably it raises the price of imports, and President Biden is terrified about inflation, <laughs> and therefore his tendency is is not to uh, lower the dollar, even though it would be the single best action he could take. Well, we won't talk about politics, but uh, we, we all understand what's being done or not being done, either rightfully or wrongfully. Uh, being that we're uh, coming near the end of our segment, uh, what, what do our viewers have to know more? Or how can they learn more about this issue? <laughs> Well, they, they can certainly come, come to the to our website, www.reshorenow.org, but they can also, to the extent that they're either buying or selling products, they could remember this chart, which shows the blue line is the same data I showed you before, that bar chart. So it's the China right. price is a percentage of U.S. The red line is uh, total cost of ownership, which is price plus duty, freight, carrying cost of inventory, all this stuff thrown in. Uh, and you can see it shifts to the right. And then if there's a 15% Trump tariff thrown onto it, uh, then you can see it shifts further to the right. So the key thing is to look to the lower right-hand corner. And based on price, the U.S. wins 8% of the time. Based on total cost, 32%. And if there's a 15% tariff, then 46% of the time. So just by getting companies to do the math correctly, millions of manufacturing jobs can come back. So so if you're if you're uh, have anything to do with procurement and you're buying domestically and offshore, do the math correctly, use our free TCO estimator to do it. And if you're selling 
to companies that are importing, use the TCU estimator to convince the buyer that your deal is better than what he's getting from China or other places offshore. Harry, thank you. It's always a, always a pleasure. And um, let's give them uh, the, your uh, URL again one last time. Uh, reshorenow.org. Excellent. Harry, it's a pleasure as always. We'll, we'll see you next month. And uh, folks, uh, keep in mind to come to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here uh, every week. Uh, we've done 750 shows thus far. Uh, we've got a lot of valuable information. Uh, we're constantly doing some new things. Uh, actually, we are now uh, in the process of becoming syndicated on AMFM radio. Uh, we are on one radio station in Hornell, New York, upstate New York and Schenectady. And it's really amazing that we've got more listeners than the population of that town. So I don't know how that works, but I don't care. The numbers are double the population of that town. So if it works that way, so be it. Harry, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Hi, Lou. Always a pleasure. Thank you much. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll see you in the next week. Uh, talk to you then. Bye now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.